we just had the same schedules. We didn't know each other. We were at the YMCA at the same time, two or three times every week during the mornings. He was from a different country, had an accent, but he asked me to spot him on the bench, and in the next five or six minutes, I asked him to spot me. And over the next three months, we actually became really good friends. I invited him to church seven or eight times. He said no every time. I'm a great evangelist, in case you didn't know that. After about three months, he said, tell me why this is important to you. And I said, well, I I think it should be really important to you because the Bible says that you're going to spend eternity somewhere, and if you spend it without Jesus, you'll not be with him. You'll be in a place called hell. If you spend it with Jesus on this life, you'll be in a place called heaven, and I want you to go to heaven with me. He said, hmm, that was it. That was it. About four or five more months go by, and he asked me if we could go to lunch. I said, sure, let's go to lunch. So we go to lunch, and he said, I want to tell you why I don't go to church, and I got a question for you. I said, okay. I don't go to church, and he mentioned the country that he was from. He said, the churches there are terrible. And he said, I've, I've never understood why people go to church. There's nothing there that I like. There's nothing there that I understand. And then he started talking about his father. And he said, and, and my father is just like the biggest hypocrite I, I know. And so I couldn't figure out why my dad would keep going to church, but I realized my dad went to church for personal gain. And so he said, to be honest with you, you're the first Christian I kind of like. And I thought, well, that may be a compliment. I'm still not sure. He said, but now here's my question. He said, I really don't understand Christianity. I really don't understand it. He started going through about seven or eight different things. What about the dinosaurs? And what about the days of creation? And what about, what about? And he said, can you put all those pieces together for me? I said, no, I really can't. He said, what good are you? Don't you have a couple degrees in this? I said, yeah, I do. And I can give you my opinion. But if you really want to know the truth, the only thing that really matters is whether he did or he did not rise from the dead. I said, what you've got to figure out, all that other stuff just gets confusing. But if he did not rise from the dead, then you can live as you please, and it's your money, and it's your time, and it's your life. But if he did, if he rose from the dead, then you owe him your life. And the biggest quest that you have to figure out is if he did or he did not. So he starts talking about the teachings. He said, so do I have to embrace all the teachings? I said, well, I do, but I don't know that I understand them all, but that's not what Christianity's about. Christianity's not about the teachings. There were lots of great teachers. He said, well, do you, do you believe all those miracles? I said, I, I do. I can't explain them all. I don't understand them all, but Christianity's not about the miracles. He said, well, what about the cross thing? He said, Jesus went on the cross. I said, he did? But I said, make no mistake. Christianity's not even about the crucifixion. There were tens of thousands of men and women who were crucified by the Romans. The Persians invented it, and the Romans perfected it. I said, Christianity's not about the teachings. It's not about the crucifixion. It's not even about the miracles. It's about the man who got up and walked out of the grave. That's what you have to figure out. And that's your story today. That's you. You have to figure out either he did or he did not rise from the dead. 
And that should be a really important quest because you're going to spend eternity somewhere based upon that decision. Now, there are four biographies in the Bible written by four different guys called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these guys all claim, and they say basically the same story. I want to read just six quick verses. Six verses from a guy named Matthew who happened to be a tax collector. Matthew chapter 28 says this. After the Sabbath at dawn, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him, they shook and they became like dead men. Then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now, this is the basis of Christianity. Christianity is not based on the teachings of Christ, not based on the miracles of Christ, not even based on the crucifixion of Christ. You have to figure this out. I can't do it for you. Nobody else can do this for you. It's every woman, every man has to figure out either he did or he did not rise from the dead. And so my friend, the next two years, would ask me questions like this. What in the world is Christianity? And I realized that a lot of us really don't know what Christianity is. We've had some exposure. We've had some, maybe some bad examples. And so for just a few minutes this morning, this is not a comprehensive list, but for just a few minutes this morning, I want us to talk about what Christianity is. Now, Amos already referenced the greatest verse in the entire Bible. In fact, Christianity could start and Christianity could stop with this one verse. If you had no other verse, this is the verse to hang your hat on. It is John three sixteen. Say this with me. Are you ready? Say this with me out loud. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's Christianity. Bye. See you, see you next Sunday. We're done. That's it. That is Christianity right there. John three sixteen. Everyone should memorize that. Screenshot it. Put it on your refrigerator. Do whatever it takes. That is your verse. So what is Christianity? Well... It requires faith, but it is based upon truth. Okay, that's where you lost me, the whole faith thing. Kurt, how can I believe in something I don't understand? Great question. I think you do that every day. You believe in things every day you don't understand. How can a black cow eat green grass and produce white milk? I have no idea how that can happen. But I love milk with my oatmeal raisin cookies, don't you? I love it. How does an 85-ton Boeing 737 fly 600 miles an hour and stay in the air? Most of the time. (laughs) Not all the time, most of the time. I don't know. You don't know. There's things all the time that we believe in that we truly don't quite understand. I want to take us now to a story that's a little weird for Easter. It's not the resurrection, it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's a time where Jesus now gets baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, it's early in the ministry, it's like the beginning of his three-year ministry, and he gets baptized by John in the Jordan River, and the Bible says that the Spirit of God now is on him. And now he is getting ready to make this messianic prophecy, and I want you to catch this. 
because he goes home. He goes to his hometown. And right off the bat, in this little synagogue with maybe 80 or 90 people, he tells everybody in the room that he is the Messiah, and they all feel it. There's electricity in the air. God has not spoken for 400 years. For 400 years since Malachi to John the Baptist, it's a period of absolute silence. There's been no movement of God. Now, in this little bitty synagogue, in Luke chapter 4, in this town of Nazareth, they all are looking around. They all feel it. There's electricity in the air. Catch this story, Luke chapter 4. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He was now baptized. And the Gospel of Mark says the Spirit came on him and it remained in him. He returned with the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. Now he goes home. He's teaching the synagogues and everybody's like, wow, I've never heard anybody speak like this. So he goes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Now remember this. Everybody in the synagogue that day knew Jesus. Some of the people in the synagogue that day had changed his diaper. Some of the people in the synagogue that day had fed fed him meals and their, their kids played with Jesus. So here he is in the hometown and he's about to unveil who he is to the hometown crowd. So he goes into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now notice what he does next. He's got this giant scroll of the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before this time, and he just unrolls it and unrolls it and unrolls it and unrolls it to the place where it's a messianic prophecy. He's getting ready to declare to everybody at home, to everybody who knows him, that he is the Messiah. So he he does this. He unrolls it where he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Lord, folks, has not moved for 400 years. And now in this little bitty synagogue, there is electricity. And everybody's going, man, do you feel it? Do you see it? Do, Do you sense it? Do you feel it? Now, I'm not comparing Tiger Woods to Jesus, okay? But this past weekend in Augusta, On Sunday, when Tiger Woods got through Amen Corner, holes 11, 12, and 13, there was electricity in Augusta, Georgia. There was a tiger on the course, and everybody felt the electricity. Now, that's the best I can do for an analogy for this synagogue. In this synagogue, everybody feels it. Everybody knows there's something spectacular going on. And here's the point in just a minute. They talked themselves out of it. They knew something was going on. They knew he was real. They felt it, and they walked out of there talking themselves out of it. At the end of our service today, we're going to give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ. And if you feel it, if you sense it, do not allow your human nature to talk you out of it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, a recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Do you sense it? God hasn't moved in 400 years. Oh my goodness, this is Jesus. It says that he began by saying to them, Today, this messianic prophecy has been fulfilled. 
and he's telling the hometown crowd, I- I'm your man. I am the Messiah. And here's their response. They all spoke well of him. Oh, my goodness. They were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. And then human nature took over. Hey, wait a minute. If I really give my life to Jesus, what am my family going to say? If I really change my lifestyle, will it really work? If I really, like, go all in, will my friends and family think I'm crazy? And that's the power of human nature that tries to talk you out of the greatest decision of your entire life. And here's their human nature. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, hey let's not get carried away with this. Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, we know this boy. This boy grew up with us. Yes, it does require faith, friends, but it's absolutely based on truth. There's 322 messianic prophecies written seven, 800 years before Jesus was ever born. Now, what are the odds of one man fulfilling 322 prophecies? The Bible alone records 515 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. The Bible claims Jesus made 40 days of post-resurrection appearances. But here's the killer for me. This is, this is what set me apart. When I realized that these guys were absolute cowards, and you know a coward, and cowards do not become courageous. Cowards don't move from being cowardly to courageous unless there's something miraculous that's taking place. And when Jesus was arrested, every one of these guys went home, locked the door, and were scared to death. But once they saw the resurrected Christ, they were never the same. Once they'd experienced Jesus, these men went to their deaths proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. And all 11 of them, Judas is out of the picture, all 11 of them boldly proclaimed that they had experienced the resurrected Christ. That takes faith. absolutely takes faith. But it's based on truth. I don't know about you, but when I hear Billy Graham's voice, that gives me chills. That give you chills a while ago. And the power and the persuasion of that man's faith. And you realize what he said was, there's more facts for the empirical facts, for the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ, than perhaps any other event in history. Yeah, it takes, it takes a lot of faith. But it's built on an incredible amount of truth. Christianity is not based on what I can do, but it's based on what was done for me. I think we're smart enough to realize we can't fix this world. I think we realize that we just keep pouring more money into this and more effort into this and trying harder in this. Things are not getting better. Things are unraveling. If we're really honest, you see, we know that we can't fix it. It's not what I can do. Christianity says you can't do enough good deeds. You can't help enough old ladies across the street. You can't give away enough money. You can't do enough good deeds. It's not what you can do because you're broken. You've got an overdraft. And I've got an overdraft. And because I've got an overdraft and you've got an overdraft, we really can't help each other. We've got to find somebody who's got some credit. And we look around and we go, my goodness, the world is broken. And we realize that even though we've got to do things, we realize our educational systems are broken, our political systems are broken, our financial systems are broken. I mean, I mean, you're broken. You come today broken. I come today absolutely broken. You know you're broken, and you know that I'm broken. 
So what do we do? We have to have somebody who's got a little bit of credit. Now that's where some people just want to kind of buck up and bow up and say, well, I'm not broken. I'm not broken. It wasn't my fault. And they deflect it. Wasn't my fault. It was my parents' fault. Wasn't my fault. I was born this way. Wasn't my fault. It was my teachers. Or, or they deny it. No, I'm not broken. She's broken, but I'm not broken. Or we try to drown our sorrows. The only way that we can work, work on all this is to dissolve it in the amazing blood of Jesus Christ. You know what the real issue is? It's my heart. The real issue is my heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Now, if you're at a party and you need to sound intellectual, just, just whip that one out sometime. It'll make you sound smarter than you really are, and maybe you'll impress somebody, all right? But it's absolutely true, isn't it? I mean, that, I got a problem with my, I, can't, I have an overdraft. You have an overdraft. And the only thing that you and I can really do is find someone who has credit. And that's why Ethan referenced this a little bit earlier before we sang that new song in the stripes of Jesus. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of deep sorrows, who was no stranger to suffering and grief. We hid our faces from him in disgust and considered him a nobody, not worthy of respect. Yet he was the one who carried our sickness and endured the torment of our sufferings. We viewed him as one who was being punished for something he himself had done, as one who was struck down by God and brought low. Now catch this. But it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced. And it was because that he was that, and because of that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole, and in his wounding we found our healing. Like wayward sheep, we've all wandered astray. Each of us has turned from God's path and chosen our own way. Even so, Yahweh laid the guilt of our every sin upon him. You got an overdraft. I got an overdraft. He's got lots of credit. And he's come to save you and me from our sins. And this is what's the most amazing part about Christianity to me, is it's an all-skate. Everybody gets to play. It's an invitation for everybody. Everybody gets to come into the kingdom of God. Everyone is invited. And I love the titles of Jesus. It's just been recently that I've really understood this. All these titles of Jesus are meant to help you and I relate to who Jesus is. These titles are for all of us to be able to grasp the greatness of who God is. Notice this. You will relate to one of these. Jesus calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, so the scientists can understand. He calls himself the bread of life, so the baker can relate. He calls himself the cornerstone, so every builder and every architect can understand who Jesus is. He calls himself the good teacher, so every educator can understand. He calls himself the good shepherd, so no farmer will ever miss who Jesus is calls himself the great physician, so every doc and every nurse can understand who Jesus is. He calls himself the king of kings, so even royalty can understand. He's called the lily of the valley, so every florist can understand. He's called life, so every biologist can understand. He's called the light of the world, so every electrician can see who Jesus is. He's called the pearl of great price, 
so every jeweler can grasp who Jesus is. He's called the resurrection and the life, so every funeral director can get his mind around the resurrection and the life. He's called the righteous one, so every judge, every judge can understand. He's called the rock of ages, so every geologist can understand. He's called the son of righteousness, so every lawyer can understand. He's called the water of life. Every plumber gets who Jesus is. He's called the way, so every traffic cop clearly understands he's the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the truth, so every politician can understand who Jesus is. So last summer, Danita and I were invited to go do a wedding for one of our couples in Barbados. I said, where? They said, Barbados. I said, when do we go? They both lost their spouses years ago. They both found love again, about my age. And so we fly into Barbados a couple days before the wedding. And that evening, like two days before the wedding, the whole wedding party gets together, family, friends, have a meal, introduce each other. And that night, um, I met everybody. The next morning, I've got a rehearsal at the beautiful chapel in, in this church on, on the island. And then that afternoon, Danita and I spent all afternoon at the beach. Where else does Danita want to go? Water, sand, beach. That's her. She loves it. So we're at the beach, and uh, after a couple hours, she said, how about finding us some more water? I said, sure. So I go up, and it's a, it's a small resort, and there's a very, very tiny mart. Don't, don't picture a super Walmart. Picture something about, you know, half the size of this front stage. It's about a 1,000 square feet is all the size of this mart. So I'm in there, and I find two San Pellegrino water bottles, and I'm on the checkout line. And two of the ladies that are with the wedding party came in that I met the night before. And we exchanged pleasantries. Hi, how are you? Good, great. That was about it. The next afternoon was the wedding, and then that night... We're at the reception. So Danita and I now, I'm done with the wedding. I'm relaxing. We're watching the water and the waves. The the band's behind me. Great music. We're having some incredible hors d'oeuvres and food. And um, those two women who came into the mart now come up to me at the reception. And one of the women said to me, "Um, have you got a minute? I said, well, sure. And she said, I just want you to know that in the mart yesterday, do you remember meeting me in the mart yesterday? Yeah, I remember seeing you. She said, I was overwhelmed with God telling me to ask you to baptize me. And she said, I don't really know exactly what to do with that. And she said, can I fly you and your wife to southern Indiana? And and will you baptize me, you know, in the next couple of weeks? I don't know this lady. I've barely had five seconds with her. I don't know if she's crazy. I don't know if she's called. I don't know what's going on, so I'm stalling. And I said, well, can you tell me your story? And she said, yeah. And so her husband is a big-time anesthesiologist. They come from a family of wealth. They've got lots of money. They've got vacation homes. She's had everything she's ever wanted. 
And she starts telling me about how two years ago, she was absolutely miserable. She has everything anybody could ever imagine that would make you happy. And she said, I was absolutely miserable. And so she said, one of my husband's partner's wives dropped a Bible off on my front porch two years ago. And I thought, how dare they they drop a Bible off at my house? What do I need God for? And she said, I guess I was really that miserable to everybody. She didn't read it for a while. A couple of months go by. And then she said she starts reading it. She starts reading the Bible. She can't get over how cool the Bible, the stories, they came alive. Jesus, the New Testament. And she's just devouring the scriptures, and she can't get enough of it. And so time goes by, seven, eight months go by, and she volunteers for a soup kitchen. And she said, I went to the soup kitchen, my designer purses, designer heels, designer dresses. And she starts, you know, said, you know, this isn't, this isn't, I don't need this. I don't need any of this. None of this made me happy in the first place. And she starts giving away all these, and she starts listening and mentioning all these different designer purses. And by the way, Danita, afterwards, she said, did you know what the names of those purses were? I said, I don't have a clue, honey. She said, well, I want you to pay attention. There's girls in the family. You need to, Christmas and... I'm being set up by my own wife, you know. I'm doing the work of the Lord, and she's, you know, setting me up. And so the woman's giving away dresses, purses, clothes, money, and the husband, and she has a great husband, by the way. Great, great kids. Again, vacation homes, everything you could ever imagine. And she said, I was absolutely miserable until I went all in, and I'm trying to go all in. But she said, Kurt, I chickened out yesterday at the Mart because God told me yesterday to ask you yesterday to baptize me. Well, by now, Danita's kind of thinking, and she said, are you going to be here tomorrow? And the woman said, yes. Her name's Kim. And Kim said, yes. So we got the wedding party, and about 10 or 12 of us then go up this island, you know, out on the water. And, and we baptized Kim into the Lord Jesus Christ the very next day. And there's Kim. That's her. It's actually Danita in the background with the phone, by the way. I just now noticed that. <laughs> um, it's a great story, but there's more. There's more to this story. One month after this, this was now June 31st of 2018, she's diagnosed with a debilitating illness. And seven months later, February the 15th, 2019, she goes home to be with the Lord. Now, I tell you that story not to scare you. I tell you that story to amaze you with the great measures that God will go to get your attention. God will go to great measures to help you receive his son, Jesus Christ. God is so in love with you. He is so passionate about you and spending eternity. He will go to great lengths and great measures. Do not let your human nature talk you out of it. Do not let somebody else talk you out of the most important eternal relationship you will ever have. What I love about this story is that God put me in a mart on an afternoon buying two bottles of San Pellegrino water because he knew I was crazy enough to say, yes, I'll baptize this lady. 
And that's what God's doing in your life. It won't happen like this. It'll be completely unique, completely distinct, just for you. And when he comes knocking, and when he comes calling on your life, you say yes. You say yes. I'll be your man. I'll be your woman. I'll be your girl. I'll be your... Yeah, what? I'm yours. You got up and got out of the grave. I believe that you rose from the dead, and I will follow you all the days of my life. Will you today surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord? So we're going to give you that opportunity right now today. Maybe you haven't been to church enough. Maybe you don't feel like you understand enough. Great. Come back next week. We'll keep keep teaching. We'll keep helping you. We're in this with you. Maybe right now, today is your day. And we're all going to do it with you. We're going to do what's called the salvation prayer. And this is your prayer to accept Jesus as your Savior. And we're going to do it with you. So everybody stand up. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front. And after you do this, if you want special prayer today and a prayer partner to pray for you and pray over you, then you do this. But this is especially for those of you who have never made a bold public profession that Jesus Christ is going to be your Lord and Savior. You're going to respond to the King of Kings. And we're going to do it with you. Are you all ready? Love it. Love it. He's paying attention at least, all right? Here we go. Let's do it together. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I am so grateful that you are able and willing to forgive me of all my sins. I confess that you are the Son of God, and at this moment, I give my whole life to you. Thank you for allowing me to become a Christian and live with you forever. Amen. Amen. May the 19th. Yeah. May the 19th. Connect groups don't only start up, but that's also a day for our beach baptism service. And so at 5 o'clock on May the 19th, we'll be at Honeymoon Island. Go out to guest services and sign up, and we'll baptize you. And there's another cool part of that story is the groom and the bride of the wedding I was doing, they had just gotten baptized about two or three weeks before this. And the groom, after Kim got baptized had his Harborside baptism t-shirt, and he gives it to her. And I said, Dan, what in the world prompted you to take your baptism t-shirt on your honeymoon? (laughs) He said, I just was overwhelmed with that's what I was supposed to do. Baptism is a part of what you're supposed to do. You're the king. You're the great I am. You've given us all these titles to connect and to relate to you. We love you. We honor you. We serve you. You have so blessed us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.